0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1 with me. Acts chapter 1. Right now, we're looking at the church, the aspect of the church in our Christian life. And so far, we've looked at a couple of things. We've looked at uh, the, the mission of the church and uh, what, what the church, the purpose is and what our mission is. And we've looked at the message of the church. <clears throat> and now, today and for the next few lessons, I want to look at the model of the church. The church is in its model. Look at Acts chapter 1 with me. I'm just going to read two verses, beginning at verse 13. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Let's pray before we go any further. Father, thank you for this time we have together today. Lord, we thank you for the church, this haven that you've given us in this world, this place of, of fellowship, this place of, of service. And Father, we just ask that you would help us to understand uh, the church the way that we should, that we should love the church as we should, and we should serve the church as we must. Thank you, Father, for these things. We ask you bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I have a poem on your study sheets. "'Twas a sheep, not a lamb, that strayed away," in the parable Jesus told. "'A grown-up sheep that had gone astray from the ninety and nine in the fold. Out on the hillside, out in the cold, "'twas a sheep the good shepherd sought. And back to the flock, safe into the fold, "'twas a sheep the good shepherd brought. And why for the sheep should we earnestly long, and as earnestly hope and pray?' Because there is danger if they go wrong, they will lead the lambs astray. For the lambs will follow the sheep, you know, wherever the sheep may stray. When the sheep go wrong, it will not be long till the lambs are as wrong as they. And so with the sheep we earnestly plead for the sake of the lambs today. If the sheep are lost, what terrible cost some of the lambs will have to pay. Uh, this simple poem, we see the power of the model or the example. We see that the actions and philosophies of the sheep, which are the adults, affect the actions and philosophies of the lambs, which are the children. And how true this is today and every day. Webster defines a model as an example for imitation or emulation. In today's corrupted Christian society, there are many models which can be looked to for the direction of one's church. Some of these will be profitable to the church, while others will be harmful to it. When we consider the model for our church, we must first consider the proximity of the example to the one true and perfect standard. I've been in the ministry for going on 37 years now. In those 37 years, I've been to many, many, many conferences. um, Bible conferences and pastors' conferences and workers' conferences. And these conferences are usually hosted and put on by what we would call successful churches churches that run hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of, of attenders every Sunday. And everybody tends to look at those churches and think, wow, they must be doing everything just right. But we have to be careful there. Because just because a lot of people go there, doesn't mean it's right. Amen? Amen. How many people go to a football game? Huh? How, how many, sta- how many does this, these new stadiums they're building hold what? 75, 80, 90,000 people? And they sell them out every week. Does not What about, what about a, a rock concert? How many people attend rock concerts? They jam pack those places, don't they? But does that make a rock concert? An exa- is that an example we should follow in our church services? Huh? Should we have pastor run out here Sunday morning in a football co- outfit and kick off and st- in the platform and, and we all stand up and yeah? No, we don't use those as examples to model our life. Or our church so we have to be careful a lot of these a lot of these churches are, are are have assumed the role of america's example and they better be careful with that because what does the bible say pride cometh before a what fall oh, and a haughty spirit before destruction I've seen, I've seen a lot of men, and, and, and listen, I'm not standing here this morning to say I'm any better than they are. But I've seen a lot of men fall from that pedestal they place themselves on, right down to the hard ground. So, we do need an example, though. We do. We need a model from which we can conduct our church and from which we can develop our church. So we do, we do need a model. That is, that is quite true. And as I said, when we consider the model for our church, we need to consider the proximity of the example to the one true church and perfect standard that it was. Now, given this criterion, of all the examples of the church that we have available to us today, I believe the church of Jerusalem stands alone as the best model by which to design our church today. Now, wait a minute. Some, some, someone might say, wait a minute now, Brother Dalton. The Church of Jerusalem was a total... They, they lived in totally different days. I mean, they didn't have electricity. Or they didn't have running water. The only running water they had was when the wife ran from the well to the house with it. That was it. That was the only running water they had. So it's hard for us today in our modern times with all of our technologies available and all the things that we can do that would be good for the Lord it's hard for us to say okay, we're going we're gonna to model ourselves after the church in Jerusalem and to that I would agree. However, the foundation of, of our church can be built just the way the foundation of the church in Jerusalem was built. Because that foundation is, is, is whereby the church stands. Remember, Jesus said, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So the foundation of our church is important. And what we do is important. So this morning, I'd like to look at some of the more prominent characteristics of the Jerusalem church. And just <clears throat> see how do we measure up in our church here. So let's, let's do this together. Let's just go through this. I hope to get through this whole outline that you have in front of you this morning, so I'll try to stay on task and not, not hit too many rabbit trails. Number one, we see that it was a, uni- a united church. Number one, it was a united church. In Acts chapter 2, and verse 1, we read, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Do you see that? One accord in one place. They were a united church. Now, notice the word, look at it, Acts chapter 2, we were right there, just look at verse 1. Notice that word, <coughs> accord. The word accord is a compound Greek word. And it it has its root in two root word in the Greek language. The first one is the word, Hamu, hamu, from which we get our word uh, hominin or hominous, harmonious. The word hamu, which means the same. So that word accord has, has the implication of being meaning the same. And it, it's compounded with the other Greek word, uh thumos. And the word thumos means passion. So you have you have hamu which means the same, and you have thumos, which means passion. Therefore, when translating these Greek words, we can accurately come to the conclusion that all the members of this church in Jerusalem were of the same passion concerning spiritual things. So to be in accord means to have The same passion, the same uh, excitement, the same zeal, the same purpose. Webster defines accord as agreement, harmony of minds, consent, or concurrence of opinions or wills. So we see that this was a harmonious church. They 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 shared the same passion, the same enthusiasm. They, they had the same opinions. They shared the same willingness and the same willfulness. So I want to look at each of these elements individually for just a moment. First, we, we say that they were all in agreement. Uh, though there were many... There were so many of them together in one place. They were very unanimous and peaceable. There were no contentions among them. There were, they were of one heart and soul. They had a cordial affection for one another. They were in agreement. They agreed on spiritual things. They agreed. They agreed on on the principles of conducting orderly church services and. And they agreed in the the principle of loving one another and praying for one another and helping one another. Oh, woe be unto us if we exist in our church and we are not in agreement. That That is not the will of the Father. Matter of fact, God's word in Psalm 133 and verse 1 says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 46, we read, And and, and all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Wow, what a standard. What an ideal standard. These people these people loved one another so much. They, they all sold everything they had, and they all parted their goods and brought them together, and they had all things common. They shared in each other's wealth, and I'm not promoting that today, okay? I'm not. I'm not sitting here and, and saying that if you own a nice house, you need to go sell it and give me a share of the money. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying this is, do you see the ideal standard of this church? These people were in, in such agreement, they they loved one another so completely and so entirely that they took to they went to taking care of one another. They didn't just say, "Oh. Be ye warm and filled, my brother, and send them along. They took them into their homes. They fed them. They, they clothed them. They sheltered them. They, they, they had all things common. All things were together. They were in complete agreement. There was no selfishness. There was no bickering among them. In fact, uh, the Bible says that they found favor in the sight of the people. They were, they were such a great testimony of their, of their love for one another and their agreement and harmony that people just couldn't get over it. And we in our church today should strive to be in agreement. Again, now, I'm not talking about financial agreement. I'm not saying, don't leave here and say, brother, don't say I need to sell everything I got and give it all to the church. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Uh, But we should strive to be in agreement with one another. In all things spiritual, as was this church in Jerusalem. Uh, They were in agreement concerning salvation. Galatians chapter 1 verse 8 and 9. But though we are an angel from heaven. Preach any other gospel unto you. Than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. They were in agreement concerning salvation. Uh, And we as members of Berean Baptist Church. Must also be in agreement concerning salvation. We must be in agreement concerning the doctrines of grace. Not tossed about as a ship without a rudder. Driven by the winds. But rather based upon the infallible and unchanging word of God. You know what the you hear you ever hear about talking about the old time camp meetings, the old camp meetings. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The old time camp meetings back in the in the in the 1800s, 1900s. All the different religions got together and held one big church camp meeting, and they'd have all kinds of people preaching. And, you know you know what the problem is with that. The problem with that is this. They found themselves in accord with infant baptism. They found themselves in accord with speaking in tongues. They found themselves in accord with anti-separatists. See, what sounded like a good idea was actually a bad idea. And the result was a compromise of doctrines. We have Baptist churches today who who practiced rank uh, Methodism because of their association with the Methodist churches in these old-time camp meetings. And as a matter of fact, you can go to a lot of Baptist churches today who will, who will have huge pictures and, and, and will praise Methodist preachers. Compromise doctrine. And the compromise ran deeper than any ever imagined. It resulted in a compromise of the doctrines of salvation. And today, many Baptist churches no longer hold to the truth of the Bible concerning God's sovereignty and grace. Listen, as we preach from our pulpits here in Berean Baptist Church concerning the doctrines of grace, every Baptist church preached the same thing four, five, six hundred years ago. Every Baptist church. But what has happened? Well, compromise crept in and, and, and destroyed. Uh, they were in agreement, number two, concerning supplication. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brethren. Supplication, of course, we're referring to prayer. The most powerful weapon the church has is the power of prayer. In James chapter 5, Verses 16 through 18, James writes, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, we as God's children have been granted a great privilege today. We have the advantage of unrestrained access to the Creator God through Jesus Christ, his Son. You and I have have been given the privilege to approach the throne of God in the name of Christ, and make our petitions known unto him. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And of course, we understand that we are granted this access by virtue of the blood of Christ, which, he, which has been shed for us. This church of Jerusalem was a church that was united in prayer. Often in the scripture we, we read and find where the entire church assembled together. They came together to pray. And that's almost a lost art in churches today. From the very first meeting until the dispersing of the church, Scripture cites the church as being united in prayer for the saints and for the gospel's sake. Prayer is indeed one of our most powerful weapons. Yet most Christians fail to effectually pray. What keeps us from prayer? I I jotted down I jotted down three things. Psalm one one Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. What? What keeps us from prayer? Three things. First, worldly philosophies. Worldly philosophies. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. A consistent prayer life is the result of a proper relationship with God. As we grow closer to God, we become more intimate with him. Prayer is communication. It is me speaking to God. And when and if we embrace the counsels of this world, we will... This will alienate us from our relationship with the Lord. It is easily understood that we develop a friend relationship with those that we trust as counselors, right? The people we trust for our advice, we would consider them friends. We would consider them uh, to be um, our allies. And we know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. So first... Our prayer life is hindered by worldly counsel, but then secondly, by worldly living. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. We must live our lives according to righteousness. Remember the first truth many will see is your life. And... Let me just say you have to be careful because once you've done something poorly in front of people you can't undo it. They will not forget that. Matthew 5:16 Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven. Listen. We don't have the right to live our lives the way we want. I'm sorry now the world the world will tell you you do the world will tell you you have a right to do whatever you want to do but i 'm here to tell you today no you don't you're a child of God and if you're a child of God you have to you, you need to do what he commands you have to obey him you have to be careful we have to be so careful with everything we do and everything we say when we're out when we 're out in the public and listen that that even that especially applies at home who do you think who do you think knows you better than anybody else in this world any ideas more 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 specific yeah but not not that specific <laughs> your children your children you know as I was raising my children, I tried, to, I tried to always do the right things and tried to always make the right decisions. But as my children grew into adults, sometimes they'd tell me things where, that make me understand and realize I, I, I failed. That's, now, that's not easy for a parent to admit, but sometimes they'll say something to me and, and I'll think, well, I didn't intend that to come out that way, but it did. And I failed. And guess what? Here they are years later. I mean, my youngest is now 31. Here they are years later, and they haven't forgotten what they saw from me. And I have to stop sometime and wonder, did, did, did the mistakes I made influence them to make mistakes themselves today? The lost sheep, the, what we were talking about, when the sheep go astray, it's not too long before the lambs go astray also. And listen, we're imperfect people. I understand that. And we're going to do our best, but we're not always going to do the best we, we should have. We're not always going to do what we should, and we're going, to, we're going to mess up, and we're going to make mistakes, and we're going to fail. There's only been one perfect man ever lived. Amen? His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we try, we strive to emulate him, but we fail so miserably. But we have to be careful, because worldly living hinders our prayer life. Worldly living keeps us from the throne of God. You know, I I share with people often, some people will come up to me and say, God punish me. And I'll say, No, 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 don't don't say that. If you're a child of God, He doesn't punish you. He doesn't punish us for sin. You know, but you know what He does do? He doesn't bless us. He doesn't bless us. He withholds blessings. And believe me, that's punishment enough. God doesn't give you a flat tire because you did something wrong. But he might have let you have that flat tire instead of keeping you from it. You understand what I'm saying? Do you you get the philosophy? Don't don't go through life with the philosophy that God is is some big ogre up there who's looking for every opportunity to, to, to beat you up. That's not God. you got the wrong vision of God if that's what you have. God is gracious and loving to his children. Now, he's going to judge sin, and he's going to have no tolerance with sin. But to his children, our sins were judged on the cross. Therefore, God doesn't judge us for our sins. But he does chastise us, and he chastises us by withholding the blessings that we could have had. And we have to be careful with our philosophy. But worldly living hinders our prayer life. Keeps, us, keeps God from blessing us. But then the other thing that, that hinders our prayers is, is worldly conduct. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Worldly conduct. Pride and arrogance breeds contempt for authority. And contempt for authority breeds criticism and complaining. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. These saints together maintained an attitude that was separate from the world and glorified the Savior. And this they accomplished By a renewed mind, a renewed way of thinking. Romans 12.2 And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We we need a, a change in our philosophies. We need to change the way we think, and that comes with the new birth. We spend far too much time thinking upon things we have no business concerning ourselves with. And we must be united as a church in preaching the cross and in prayer for the saints. But then also uh, notice concerning the church of Jerusalem, they were not all only all in agreement, but next, they were all like-minded. They were all like-minded. Philippians chapter 2, If there be, any, if they be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. We're admonished here by Paul to have the same mind or the same attitude as Christ regarding our servitude, our service here on earth. Now, what, what, what was the mind of Christ? Quickly, Christ, first of all, Christ had a realistic mind. He had a realistic mind. Scripture says he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus knew that he was indeed equal with God and he was and he is God. Yet despite this, Jesus also knew and understood his purpose in being in this form. He knew that he was fulfilling the office of Savior, and as such, he willingly accepted all the consequences associated with this office. Christ faced his walk as a man with a rational and realistic outlook. And we're to have the same attitude concerning our service here uh, that Christ had. We must be realistic. And realize that anything other than hell is more than we deserve. But not only did Christ have a realistic mind, secondly, he had a humble mind. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He accepted his purpose. He willingly set aside his deity to redeem you and me. Our Savior left his crown behind when he came to this earth to redeem us by his blood. And you and I will do well to leave our pride behind and in humility serve others for God's sake. Now, people tend to think that being humble means that you put yourself down all the time. But you know what being humble really means? Being humble means that we submit ourselves to the authority of another person, regardless of whether that person knows more than we do or not. And so we're humble when we submit. Now, this is not a good example for our humility toward God because we're, there's no way we're ever going to know more than God. Amen? So we submit to his authority. But, but you know, in, in, in applications in life, I'm 60 years old. I, 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 have, I have supervisors, managers that, at where I work that are in their late 20s, early 30s. Listen, I forgot more than they know. I'm serious. I forgot more than they know. But I submit myself to them and, 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 and yield myself to their authority and that, that exhibits humility. That's being humble. That's, that's accepting, it's accepting your role and, and submitting to the authority of those above you. That's what being humble means. And Jesus, though he was God... Came to earth and submitted himself to men. And allowed himself to be abused and beaten and and all the things that he did because he was humble before God. So he had a humble mind. Thirdly, he had an obedient mind. Christ had an obedient mind. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now obedience is an acquired trait. It does not come naturally. Because proverb tells us that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. You know, know, kids don't have to be taught to lie. Do you know that? You don't have to teach a child to lie. Uh, You don't have to teach a child to take something that's not theirs. You don't have to teach a child to sin. (laughs) You don't have to teach them to sin. They're going to sin naturally. But you do have to teach them. To obey, And that's where we're having a problem in America today, because kids aren't being taught to obey. Obedience is an acquired trait. It's le- Obedience is learned by two things. First, by comprehension. I'm almost done. I can't believe I'm going to get through this. Obedience is, 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 is learned first by comprehension. First Corinthians 2.14 But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him... Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. By comprehension. This is why it's important for parents to teach their children the right things. You know, I feel sorry for young parents today. I really do. Because there's so much pressure on them to to, to succumb to the worldly pressures of child rearing. And there's the constant threat that if they apply the principles of scripture to raising their children, they're going to lose their kids. Because some social worker will come by and take their children away from them. So it's so difficult on young parents today. I understand this. And I don't know what the answer is anymore. I really don't. Because we're a society that has has turned their back on God completely. You know, that's why I often tell people, I, I don't see revival ever coming to America because America has forsaken God. And while there may be small pockets of people here or there who will experience revival in their hearts, as a nation, we'll never see revival. As a movement, we'll never see a revival movement in America because people... People would not do what they have to do to experience their revival. So you pray for young parents today. And and, and you 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 be an encouragement. Don't, don't go to young parents who are struggling raising kids and say, Oh, you know, if, what you ought to do is take them in the back room and whip the fire out of them. <laughs> yeah, that's what they ought to do. But they can't do it. I'm sorry. They can't do it. And we can be bold as we want, and we can try to be brave and stand there and say, well, bless God, they can take my kids away, but I'm going to do right. Really? Really? Is that, is that, is that what you're going to do? Uh, it's, it's difficult times. We have, we have boxed ourselves into a corner. It's like the old Three Stooges movies where they paint themselves into a corner Mo looked at Larry and said, what are we going to do now? Larry said, well, we're going to put a door right here, I guess. We boxed ourselves in a corner, folks. And now it's, it's time that we, we, we lean heavy on God, and he'll see us through. But children have to be taught. I, I got on a rabbit trail, I'm sorry. First, <laughs> obedience is, is learned by comprehension, and secondly, by Cooperation. Romans 12, and I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It uh, takes cooperation to have obedience. It takes cooperation. So uh, these are some things that we, we see by the church in Jerusalem, uh, and we'll continue to look at that over the next several lessons. Uh, I hope this was helpful to you, uh, and it's time for me to stop talking, so you are dismissed. b.baptist.org.